welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. We bow before you, wonderful Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Open heaven over this place right now as we speak. By the wounds, the merit, the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. We want to follow Jesus, Lord. Speak to us today in wonderful ways. In your name, amen. Well, our title today is Let's Press On to Know the Lord, and we're doing a series called Let's Follow Jesus. You may be thinking, well, I mean, this is a church that's sort of duh, you know, but there are a lot of people that follow religion, that, that go to church, that don't necessarily follow Jesus. So we want to look at, more particularly, uh, the different areas, aspects of what does it mean for you personally and also for us as a church to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And today we want, our title is, Let Us Press On to Know the Lord. Not a very short title, sorry about that, but uh, it's taken from Hosea 6.3. Hosea 6.3, so let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. What do you notice in that verse? You notice two things. You notice uh, a command and an exhortation to press on to know the Lord, to advance, to seek, to search, to look for, to move toward but not only that, you notice a corresponding movement from the heavens. Uh, his going forth, he moves too. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain. And in an, agrar in an agrarian society, in an arid part of the world, that was all of life depended on the rain's coming. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth with refreshment, with blessing, with life, with provision. And so today we want to talk about what's the difference between ritual and relationship. What is the devotional life? What does that mean for you to press on to know the Lord, to seek the Lord? And what does that look like in practical terms? I remember when I first became a Christian, when I asked Christ into my life, I'd never heard the term quiet time. You know, you hear of time out where they make a bad child sit in the corner. Uh, but quiet time, was, uh, I could tell I didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, another term that's thrown around is daily devotional. Back when I became a Christian, they had an old term that was still you'd hear every once in a while called the morning watch. Talk about being enigmatic, like not being very clear. And so I wonder, well, what, uh, what is that? And, I, you know, you... Even if nobody explains it to you, you sort of figure out it has something to do with reading your Bible and praying every day. But I wonder where you are in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. 
And how is it going for you to pre pressing on and knowing the Lord? You know, this idea of a daily time to meet with God in reading the Scripture and in praying, it's not really an activity. It's a pursuit. It's not really just a duty. It's a privilege. You're not trying to carry out a set ritual. You're trying to find somebody and get to know them. Have you ever been in a room and someone walks in and they're looking for someone? And maybe you're trying to greet them at somebody you know, but they're, they're frantically looking for somebody and it's not you. And their eyes are scanning the whole place and they're looking and you maybe try to talk to them or something and they're totally distracted. Why? Because they're looking for somebody, not trying to accomplish something. And I assure you, if you approach your devotional life primarily as an activity, primarily as a duty, it will dry up on you because that was never the point in the first place. It's a pursuit. We need to, the first point is we need to seek His face. We need to seek His face. Psalm 40, 40 verse 8 says, When thou didst say, Seek my face, my heart said, to thee, thy face, O Lord, I shall seek. God has not just encouraged you, not just suggested to you, he has commanded to you and me as his followers. He says, seek my face. Every dad has had the experience of coming home, maybe from a trip or something else, kids run up, and if you've spoiled them and you always bring them something, what are they looking for? Your face, your smile, no. What's he got in his pocket? What's he got behind his back? What did he bring me this time? And sometimes our relationship with God sinks to that level where our eyes drop from his face to his hand. And we don't always get everything we want just when we want it. And we're sort of disappointed with God. And we have forgotten or never learned that his greatest gift is himself. Not anything that he could give us with his hand. He is a person. He is real. He is near. You were born to know him, to seek him, to love him, to live in him, to be intoxicated with him. I wonder today what he means to you. Sing on in your relationship with him, or have you slacked off? And put more energy into perfecting your excuses why you don't have a quiet time, why you don't have a daily time with him, why you can't meet with him in the morning. Perfecting your excuses rather than overcoming your obstacles. Have you come to the place where you just sort of take him for granted? He's great. He's in charge. This is his job. And frankly, sometimes you think he's not doing a very good job. You try not to... Give him too hard of a time, but you're not all that happy about it. How do you know? That's why you complain as much as you do. If you're happy about it, you wouldn't be full of complaining. Has God become just a fire extinguisher in your life? We have a fire extinguisher somewhere in our house. I think it's back in where we have the laundry mat, the, lawn, uh, the, the washing machine. I sometimes think, I better make sure I remember where that is, because in the moment of panic of a fire, 
I'm probably not going to be thinking real clearly, and I want to get that fire extinguisher immediately. For some people, their relationship with God sort of becomes that way. It's very important. Every house should have a fire extinguisher. Every person needs a dash of God just in case of emergency. You've missed out on life if unconsciously you have drifted to that place. Acts chapter 17 is that famous story of Paul in that Greek city of Athens, and it says he stood in the midst of the Areopagus, a certain place where people would go and extemporaneously speak. And he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. Starts out positively, encouraging them. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. Is God still the unknown God in your life? Do you view your Christianity primarily as a series of activities that you need to give good effort in trying to do, and then a list of bad things that you're going to try to not do? Is that what your Christianity has become? Have you lost the essence of the holy pursuit of the divine face, of that unknowable one who wants to make himself known to you? Many people's Christian life has become more like a funeral than a feast. Oh, yes, the flowers are still beautifully arranged. We're well-dressed, cordial greetings. But there's no life, there's no freshness, there's no fire. What has happened to you? Where did it go? You, you, you've experienced the same thing in friendships, and in particular if you're married, perhaps in your marriage. Nothing is constant in these things. There, there's, an, there's an ebb and flow, and things can drift away, but it doesn't have to. And even if it has, it can be regained. It can be recovered. The Lord is still waiting there. And I believe he brought you here this morning just to bring up the subject. Because, you know, he's a whole lot more interested in this than you are. Today is Father's Day. And who is the greatest father? Paul says, therefore, I bow my knees before him from whom every father in heaven and on earth derives his name. The whole concept of father flows out of the nature of God. And in a special way, this is God's day today. This is the Father's day today. How could you make his day today? To seek his face and determine that's going to be a major aspect of the rest of your life. Let's take a look at uh, something I found very instructive in the life of Moses, this whole idea of a daily time with God. Moses' quiet time. In Exodus 33, what happened in Exodus 32? The golden calf, where it come down from the mountain with great news, Ten Commandments and all this, and God says, while you're away, bad things happened. 
And uh, so he comes down. They break the tablets. It was a very bad moment. You've had some very bad moments in your life. Maybe something that you did that was really wrong, foolish. You often have wondered, why did I do that thing? Or somebody very close to you did something wrong or bad or foolish, and it had tremendous implications for your own life. You have had some very bad days. This was a very bad moment in the life of the nation of Israel and in Moses' life. He'd done everything right as a leader. He'd gone up on the mountain to meet with God. He'd heard God's voice. He'd recorded it. He was coming back. He had done everything right, and still everything went horribly wrong. But in the very next chapter, we see something that would hold Moses' life like an anchor in the midst of that kind of a storm. Exodus 33, 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And it came about that everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. I hope you always come to my classes with a pen. I'll provide you paper, often with a handout. But hopefully you can bring a pen, and because I'm going to ask you to mark some things. And the first thing I want you to circle on that verse, I want you to circle the phrase, the tent. I want you first to notice what it was. If you don't have it, circle it in your mind. What was it? It was a tent. It was not a cinder block building. It was something that he could roll up and take with him. What tent was this? Was this a tent that had been handed down from Abraham? No. Was this the tabernacle? No. They take up the offering for, to build, start building the tabernacle uh, one or two chapters later. So it can't be the tabernacle. So it was just a tent. It was a tent that Moses has had apart from his regular tent. You probably have a tent up in your attic, some of you more campers. I mean, maybe that's old school now. It's these million-dollar things on wheels that you plug into the uh, sewage and water and power lines in different places so you can go rough it. But, uh, but he would just take this extra tent, and, and that speaks to us of flexibility in terms of our devotional life. It's not tied to a particular place. It speaks, uh, uh, or a particular set of activities, it speaks of mobility, I said, well, just because you have a trip or you're going to be in the Appalachians on vacation, I said, well, I can't meet with God because I'm not back at my house. That your time with God needs to be flexible. It needs to be portable. And we also see with this tent, it was something personal. It wasn't just the big group, but it wasn't just personal. It also says everyone who sought the Lord would go out to this tent. There was both a personal nature of it and a corporate nature of it. It was a tent. Second thing I want you to mark is the word outside. Outside. Circle that word. And also circle the two words, a good distance from. We want to notice where he put this tent. It was outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. In your life, you need some distance. You need to find a place. Mentally, physically, spiritually, where you get alone with your God. In Moses' case, it took some creativity. I can't imagine what it would be like camping with 2,000 people, with all of their animals and dogs and cows and everything, and it's just all a city of tents. But Moses made a way. He found a way 
to get alone with his God. Have you done that? And if your old way of doing it no longer works because you've changed houses, I don't know, some different things have changed, have you found a new way or have you given up the pursuit of meeting with God? The third thing I want you to notice is the purpose. I want you to circle tent of meeting. Tent of meeting. This wasn't the tent of eating. It wasn't the tent of Bible study. It wasn't even the tent of offering sacrifices or any kind of rituals. It was the tent of meeting. He went to meet with God, with a person. It wasn't a ritual. It was a relationship. It wasn't a something. It was a someone. He went to visit and talk with his God and for God to speak with him. The fourth thing I want you to notice is who it was for. And you can just underline everyone. Everyone, it says, who sought the Lord. You know, sometimes with this whole idea of, of meeting with God every day in the Bible and prayer, whether you want to call it quiet time, devotional life, morning watch, or some other interesting name you come up with, tent of meeting, I'm going to the tent of meeting. But sometimes people think, oh, well, that is for, they're, they're, the world is divided, the Christian world is divided up into two groups of people. There are the stars, the Olympic athletes that go to seminary and all of this, and we, we cheer them on, sort of like a football game, you know? And we're fans, and we'll wear the T-shirt and the, and the paint our face and all of that, but they're the ones that actually, they're good at this. This is their thing. And so we think, well, maybe all of this is, that's for the, that's for the, uh, the pastors, maybe the elders, you know, maybe some of the, half of the deacons. But I'm just your rank and file. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, I'm part of the booster club. I mean, I'm for all of this. And I just think that's just great that you do that. I wish I could do that. I just, I just, I admire you so much. As one person said with the, as far as the prophets go, we build their tombs and we write their epitaphs, but we're careful not to follow their example. But this tent of meeting was for Everyone. Would you say that word out loud now? Everyone. One, one more time. Everyone who sought the Lord. Are you seeking the Lord today? Then you will make sure in your life that every single day, it, to the degree it depends on you, you're going to seek the face of God. And the fifth thing I want to notice, it's not on that in that passage, it's in the Later on, a uh, fascinating passage, it uh, would be nice to talk some more about it, but I want to focus on the conversation. We get to listen in on one of his meetings with God. Somebody bugged the place. No, I mean, Moses, Moses is writing, so I guess it wouldn't be called bugging it, but uh, he recorded one of his times meeting with God, and at this time when everything was having, he was, they were going through such a hard time because of the golden calf, and we notice that he makes three requests of God. I wonder today, what are you seeking from God? You see, uh, having a quiet time, meeting with God, isn't like a prison sentence. You know, you're sentenced to 30 minutes a day, and so you just show up, you know, and you got your little ankle bracelet that says you're there, 
in heaven. So he says, okay, well, is he there? Okay, is she there? She's there. Okay, it's okay. Just stay there. Doesn't matter what you do, just don't move. Just don't leave. Just show up. Throughout the whole Bible, the idea of coming into the presence of God, the giver of all good gifts, he says, I want you to come to receive. I want you to come wanting something. I want you to come with strong desires that God more and more can mold into better and better desires. But he wants you to want more. More of him, more holiness, greater character, greater effectiveness. Let's look at what Moses asked God for. In uh, Exodus 33, verse 14, he says, Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you so that I might find, might find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. He says, I want to know your ways. And that, for a God who is everywhere and therefore can't walk anywhere to where he wasn't because he's already there, you think, well, how can a God who fills everything move? I mean, to have a way or a path. A path implies that you're at one place, and you start moving along that path, and you end up at another place. Uh, in one sense, God can't do that, because he's already both places. I guess he could kind of shift, maybe, but, uh, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the way God is. All of you have lived with somebody. Might be a roommate in college. Maybe you're married. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you just grew up in a home. But not a single person here has the story, I was born on a desert island, or they just dropped me off, I was an infant, never saw a soul, like that Tom Hanks movie, you know, Castaway. All of you have lived with people, and as you've lived with people, you have, the more you've been around them, the more you have learned their idiosyncrasies, their ways, that when they get in a certain situation, they're going to do a certain thing. They're going to say a certain thing. They're going to have certain problems. They're going to have certain strengths. There's certain things you can count on them for because you know their ways. You are getting to know them. There's still more to get to know. But Moses is saying, God, I want to get to know who you are, the way you are, so that by knowing you, I won't make wrong assumptions about you. I won't draw wrong conclusions just because of the things I see, because I know you. I know your heart. And I rest in that knowledge of your ways, of who you are. I'm confident that even if things are looking bad, it doesn't matter. God has everything in control. He loves me greatly. And he's going to do wonderful things. doesn't matter what the appearances are. Let me know your ways. Second, he asks in verse 15, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. He wanted to know God's ways. He wanted to experience God's presence, not just individually. He said for all of us. How often do you cry out to God for God's presence to be with the people, his people at Northeast Presbyterian Church? and with the churches in Columbia, South Carolina, and with the churches in South Carolina and the United States, the sense that it could go either way. That's the, that's the funny thing about religion. 
We can kind of pull it all off and have everything but the guest of honor. Uh, we've sort of got a system down. You know, you, you, you build a building, you, 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 you put out a sign, you put stuff in the newspaper, you have a nice music. They're just different things that anybody that knows anything about churches, you do this and people will come. Yes, but did God come? Is he there? Moses doesn't, they were the people of God. Well, of course God's going to be with us, not necessarily. He said, Lord, would your presence go with us? Why does he say that? Because God says, well, y'all are so troublesome, maybe I'll just send an angel. I've got a helper, I'll send him, uh, and then I won't be around you to get so mad at you. Uh, Sometimes raising kids, you've wished for a nanny. And so that you could get a little more emotional distance, and maybe you wouldn't get so upset with them. Just let the nanny... Uh, bear their weight, and you could visit with candies and stuff and then leave again. Experience God's presence. Can you tell the difference when he's with you and when he's not with you? And third, Moses says in verse 18, then Moses said, I pray, I pray you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Sometimes you imagine what it would be like to be God in certain situations. And if I were God in that situation, I might be a bit frustrated with Moses. I mean, God had already appeared to him in the burning bush, had already, when Moses lifted up his little stick, the whole Red Sea parted, two million people walked through. They'd already had the pillar of cloud during the day, the pillar of fire at night. He'd walked up on the mountain and heard the voice of God God had written Ten Commandments on tablets of stone for him. And Moses is basically saying, is that all you've got? I want to see more. Where is your heart today? Are you satisfied with the tiny little bit of God that you've gotten? Those few little drops of a whole ocean that's out there? Can you be satisfied with so little when he wants so much to give you more? Show me your glory. And God God doesn't fuss at him and says, well, you should be satisfied with what I've already given you. Like you sometimes have talked with your kids, you know, and they're wanting something, they want this other car, or, or they want this or that or the other, and you're thinking, well, we've just had your birthday, we've just had Christmas, we've just done all of these things for you, and you want something else. God doesn't say that to him. He says, all right, uh, uh, that's great. He said, uh, he said I'm, uh, they made an appointment. God makes an appointment. He goes up on the mountain the next day, and, and God is into all the details because God is like uh, a consuming fire, and it's as though because of our sin, we're like paper. And the closer the paper gets to the fire, the more sure it is that it will be destroyed. And God says, no one can see me and live through it. No sinful person. He says, but, you know, it's as though your request is so good. We've got to figure out a way to do this because this is just so great. You want to see my glory? You want to get to know me better? And so God's working with him, you know, uh, so we can figure out how can we help you see my glory but not be incinerated. That would be make a bad end of the party. So he says, I've got this place. I'm going to bring you up there. I'm going to hide you in the play, this place. And then I'm going to pass by and declare the name of the Lord. And I think you'll be safe there. And then as I get past, you can peek out and look at me. It's a fascinating story. But what I most get out of it is God wants you to want more. More of Him. More of Him. Well, let's talk about a few practical things. And I, but I want you to notice that the, the first tent wasn't that official tabernacle. It would be sort of like our church. 
It was that private, personal meeting with God each day that Moses did, and everyone who sought the Lord did. And you know what gives our church strength? It's not how many degrees the pastors have, how flashy our new ties are, how great the music or the sound system is. It's what do you bring to this place when you come? Do you come fresh from the presence of God? Oh, well, I don't meet with God on Sunday mornings. I, you know, it's bad enough having to go to church. Well, we wouldn't mean, I don't mean it that way, you know. I just mean it's... Do you make a special point of meeting with God on Sundays? Or do you take a vacation from God? Do you ever take a vacation from breathing? It's hard to talk people into even taking a vacation from eating, even though the Bible talks about fasting. What do you bring Sunday mornings when you come? It depends. Where have you been? Have you been with him? Let's talk about a few practical things. But I've spent most of the time on the heart, on the pursuit, on the vision, on the goal, and not on the how-tos. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. There are plenty of things for you to try and do as you begin to seek God each day. That's not really the problem. It's not some trick. It's that decision of the heart. And so, you know, everybody's times meeting with God are sometimes more interesting, sometimes less interesting. That's okay. Same way in, in relationships and marriage and things like that. Doesn't matter. What really matters is that deep yearning in your heart to know God better. First, let's talk about time. I remember when I first, uh, at my first year as a Christian, I figured you're supposed to read your Bible, so I'd read a little bit before I go to bed at night, and it was nice, and, and maybe pray a little bit. And then about a year and a half later, and this is like 34 years ago, I was, uh, had moved to a place for a summer training program during the summer, obviously, and I had to be at work at 7.15 in the morning, and we had programs every night. And so I thought to myself, well, it would really be nice to meet with the Lord in the morning, but it's just too early. I have to drive all the way across Atlanta and be there at 7.15. I'd have to leave at like 6.30. So obviously I'm not going to be able to meet with the Lord in the morning, but that's a shame. I listened to this message by Stephen Olford, a great old British pastor who's passed away now. And he talked about the morning watch with his great British accent. And he said, I wonder how many people here today would say that your time meeting with God every morning is important to you. And he says, now let me ask you another question. I wonder how many of you would say that it is all important to you, that it is the cornerstone of your life and your walk with God. He said, I've been walking with God for 40 years, and that is the central point in my whole faith experience and this, the true resources, resource of everything I have to say about who God is. And I did a little 30-minute tape, but sometimes God just uses one little thing to get you going, to turn that corner, to realize that is true. That's it. And to be ashamed of yourself and to repent and turn. And that moment I made a decision, Lord, to the degree it depends on me, with your strength, with your help, I'm going to meet with you every day in the morning for the rest of my life. Why in the morning? It's the beginning of the day. It's the freshness of the first fruits of the day. 
There's so many other things you would get up for. Yes, you have to have dialysis at 6 in the morning or you'll die. Guess what? You're going to be up and having dialysis at 6 in the morning. Why? Because you would die if you didn't. How much is it worth to you? Now, some people, I'm not going to, there's not a law here. I'm not saying that it's got to be a certain way. It's got to be in the morning. I would say it needs to be daily just because today is all you have. And if he really is your life, why put him off? Another question that comes up is how long? And it depends on your life circumstances. But that is your morning sacrifice. That's where you say, Lord, I'm going to at least give you this much. And if you can do more, fine, but don't, don't view it primarily in legalistic activity type terms. It's a pursuit. You're showing up to meet with somebody. You're not just going to do something. You're going to find somebody. Place is another important point. To find at least where you normally live, your home, to find of all the different places, what would be the best place? That's the way you make things special. It's not like one day here, one day there, maybe one day at this time, one day at another time, maybe late at night, but then I fell asleep. It's so raggedy, so piecemeal, so much like, is that what you think of your God? That's the way you treat your dog. You eat the family eats, there are always a few leftovers. You have a dog, you think, well, here, let's let the dog eat what's left over. We, don't, we hate to waste it. And a lot of people do all of their life and do whatever they want to do of, of, of hunting, of games, of TV, of eating and talking and all of that. And then if there are any scraps left over, well, let's toss it to God. Maybe that'll keep him happy. Are you willing to give God the first fruits of your life, and not do it because you have to do it. Do it because you get to do it, because it's a privilege. It's because that's what your life is about. But to find that place where you're going to meet with God. Third, what, what do you do in a, in, a, in a daily time with God? You can do anything you want, really. Normally, it involves reading your Bible and praying. There was a time where I realized I'd been mostly reading my Bible for 15 years, so I thought, well, for a year I'll just pray in my quiet time and would just spend, put on some music, and for a half an hour to an hour I would just be with the Lord in prayer. And that was really nice. Now I'm back to, you know, doing more like three quarters or so of, of, of reading the Scripture. Sometimes I'll work on my, look at my Scripture memory. Sometimes I'll sort of do a Bible study. Might look at a bio, Christian biography. It doesn't matter. What's the point? It's you're pursuing him. And if one type, type of activity sort of dries up, shrivels up on you, well, you don't have to do that. Do something else. The center of gravity is the Lord himself, not your activity. I find it very helpful to read and mark in my Bible. That's why I could speak from, uh, from Exodus today, because I've been reading and marking in it, and I've got everything I've told you written in the margin of my Bible. It's sort of cheating, isn't it? But anyway, when you have a Bible that you read and mark in, it becomes a familiar place to you, and you feel at home there. And it's a way of registering that that's a place where you have camped with the Lord and met with Him like at Bethel. Things that are helpful, I find, like I said, reading and marking uh, writing things down, rec having a journal where you record stuff. I don't always do that. Some people are real writers. I'm not. 
The few times I have done it, it's been great, but then I wear out. I poop out. I have to keep changing things. I, I, I'll do one thing for a month and do something else for the other month. That's not the point. It's that every single day before I go to bed, I'm already thinking about meeting with the Lord in the morning. And if I need to get to bed earlier or, or even make decisions in my mind, well, like, for example, Friday night, I couldn't go to sleep post-nasal drip and some of these things, you know. I mean, I, it was like 2 in the morning when I went to sleep, and I made this silly commitment to get up to pray with the men at 5 Saturday morning. I thought, well, I'm just going to get two and a half hours of sleep. I says, well, that's just the way it goes. And uh, I got up, and the Lord sustained me. Let the Lord do special things in your life. Don't always say, well, no, if it's not this way, then I just can't do it. Yes, you can. You can do anything you want to do. My dad used to say, when I wouldn't have done something I was supposed to do, he'd say, well, Henry, I found in life that people do what they want to do. And, of course, that would make me very mad. But I, probably because I knew it was partially true. You can meet with God. You can't necessarily always have a wonderful time and always be up in the clouds. That's okay. But you can seek God. He wouldn't have commanded you to do it if it weren't possible. And it says God will respond and move toward you. In conclusion, are you getting to know God? What does he mean to you? Do you hear God speaking to you from the pages of Scripture and by the Holy Spirit? Isn't it time to throw away those silly excuses could it be that God brought you here this morning to touch you again in this area? Isn't it time to make afresh that commitment to meet with God and to have new experiences of your soul with trembling delight reaching up to touch the face of God? God told Moses, Moses, be ready in the morning. And in the morning, come up to the mountain to meet with me. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. And he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you would want to have anything to do with us. And we thank you that you delight in us more than we delight in our most beloved child or grandchild. And today we tell you, Happy Father's Day. And we want to make your day by recommitting our lives to meeting with you as you allow every morning for the rest of our life to be ready in the morning to come up on the mountain to meet with God, to give up these silly excuses, to seek to overcome in your power all obstacles that might be in our way. We want to know you. We want to see your glory. We want your presence in our lives and in this church. And we believe that you are so great that you can even do this in us as we trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Um. 
Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.